Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast with Amy Wheeler. I've had the good fortune to travel the world learning about yoga therapy on a global scale. And I've been able to meet many of the leaders in the field along the way. I want to share with you what I'm learning as I interview our colleagues from around the world. My hope is that together we can reduce suffering of all sentient beings through our work as yoga teachers and yoga therapists. Hi, this is Amy Wheeler of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. And our episode today has been underwritten by the International Association of Yoga Therapists. And so I'm going to just take a couple of minutes here to tell you about a fabulous conference they have every fall, and it's called the Symposium on Yoga Research. And this is a really unique conference because it's so specific to the field of yoga and yoga therapy. So this conference is going to be November 15th and 16th, and it is online this year due to COVID. It's usually held at Kripalu, which is a wonderful, glorious place to go and have a conference in the fall on the East Coast with all the trees changing colors. But this year we're going to be online, and the good news about that is it is affordable to not have to travel and and all of that. So the prices for this year for students are 135 for the main conference and 165 for the pre-conference workshops plus the conference. And for regular colleagues like you and me that have already graduated from our university programs and graduated from our accredited yoga therapy programs, for us, the conference is 225 for the main conference and 275 for the pre-conference plus the main conference. So very, very affordable. And then we can have the replays for a year. We get the program that has all the abstracts from the poster presentations, and we get to be with our, our colleagues right there online, listening to the best yoga researchers in the world. I've already looked at the people who are lined up. We have some amazing people presenting this year, which, you know, the benefit to us as yoga therapists is that we can use that research to do better with our clients, number one, but also talk with our colleagues in healthcare and actually provide them with the best and latest research studies that have already been vetted by the IAYT, right? Because when you go on PubMed and you try to figure out which studies are valid and invalid and which ones were done well and not done well, it's almost impossible unless you have a PhD in research. But the IAYT has a brilliant team who has already gone through all the studies that have been put out in the last few years and chosen the best studies to show to you. So you can be assured that any study that you learn about and then want to show to a healthcare provider is top-notch, which that in itself is really a big deal. If you type in yoga and chronic illness into PubMed, you're going to get a thousand studies and you don't know if they're great studies or not so great studies. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity to increase your knowledge, increase your ability to work with your clients, and also have the ability to talk with healthcare providers. There is a BIPOC discount, and there's also a discount for people who live in countries that have been identified by the World Bank as lower to middle income. So if you want to take part in those discounts, you can go to www.iayt.org slash S-Y-R. 
for the Symposium on Yoga Research. I'll say it again, www.iayt.org slash S-Y-R. And that will tell you more about the BIPOC discount, the World Bank discount, and how to register. Again, students from accredited yoga therapy schools that are in school right now, as well as university students who want to come, there's a nice discount for them. Replays are available for up to a year after the conference. And if you're hearing this after November 15th and 16th, you can still come back and get those replays for your files by contacting IYT. They will sell them after the conference. So we really hope you will join us this year. It's going to be a great time together. I'm looking forward to it, learning about the latest research in our field and really staying up to date and also getting my continuing education units. I can get up to 12 CEs by attending this conference. So that's always a good deal too. And those are automatically applied to your account because IYT knows you attended the conference. So I'll see you there. Today, I have a very special guest, a dear friend of mine and colleague for many years that I'd like to share with you. Uh, You're really in for a treat. Her name is Sonia Chapnick. And I first heard of Sonia when I came home from India the first time. I had gone to India as an Iyengar yoga teacher, and I was there for probably four weeks, and I came home a Vini yoga yoga teacher. And so when I got home, I went back to the studio I'd been teaching, and all of my students left me because they were appreciating Iyengar yoga and did not understand this kind of slow, mindful vinyasa linking breath and movement thing that I had come home from India to do. And I heard from somebody that there was another woman in the South Bay area of California, right outside Los Angeles, that also taught this style of vini yoga. And her name was Sonia. And that people just loved her. I mean, this was back in like 1999. Sonia was working at Yoga Works and kind of a very popular teacher in the late 90s at, at Yoga Works in Santa Monica. And somebody then said something like, Oh, and by the way, she's blind. She does the whole class, teaches the whole class, and she's blind. And I was like, Wow, I cannot wait to meet this woman. And it took me a few years after that to track her down, find her tell her the story about how I had been wanting to meet her for so long. And, you know, we quickly became fast friends and colleagues and have worked together in a variety of different ways since then. And now she is on the faculty of the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School and is actually developing an entire module called Optimal Nidra. It's a form of yoga nidra that takes the Vedic teachings, takes the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandaram from Chennai, India, takes a lot of their teachings into account and combines it with the latest neuroscience. So I am just so pleased that Sonia has created this program kind of side-by-side of our yoga therapy program. And it will be open as a certification to all yoga teachers, health coaches, psychologists, medical professionals, or anyone else, even school teachers that wants to become certified in optimal Nidra. 
optimal sleep. So I introduce you to Sonia. I know you're going to love listening to her today and her journey. And one other thing, it's really storming where I live. And there's a few times where the sound gets a tiny bit wonky. I apologize for that. I just don't have any control over the weather. So as a yogi, you will have to be flexible and just kind of breathe through those, those little spots where there's a word here or there that's a little, little funky. And I thank you ahead of time for your patience with that. Thank you for coming to talk to us today, Sonia. It's so nice to have you here. Hello, Amy. Thank you for letting me be a part of it all. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, well, as I have talked about in the intro, you I've known about you for several decades, and then you and I actually became colleagues and friends, you know, in the last 10 years, especially. So it's just, it seems to me like it's having tea with a girlfriend that I cherish. And I'm, I'm just thrilled that you're willing to talk to us about your own journey through insomnia and sleep and, and rest and intentional rest. And then also your professional journey as a, a person who, who lacks sight. And I'm so happy you're willing to talk to us about that today. And then some really cool upcoming plans that, that you have. So, so where would you like to begin? Which, what, what would make you most comfortable to start with? Wow. If you open it like that, um, I, I would love to talk about my yoga journey. And really, I mean, I think starting at the beginning is very helpful for anyone who has to go through any kind of life transition of any kind. And then the evolution and, you know, as we progress in life from whatever our choices are and whatever we end up desiring to do in life, sometimes we set out a plan and it's not exactly how you end up. So um, I'm happy to start there. Go for and, it. I, I love your story. Yeah. So inspiring. So I, I guess from the very beginning, I was not always a yogini or a yogi. I definitely found yoga as a part of a desperation in life to kind of manage a huge shift, which was being told I was going to go blind. And that in itself is a whole other story, you know, the journey through many different doctors and whatnot. But having the opportunity, I was in a corporate position. I was working as an environmental biologist in a position fresh out of college. I was in the field of my study. I was really gung-ho about it all. <laughs> and then I was having some challenges. And even to the point where I was so out of my body that I didn't even really understand that, oh, I actually can't see. That's why I'm not being able to make the QC that I was uh, responsible for as my job. And I, it was an interesting shift to try to manage, well, I'm being accused of something that I don't think I'm doing. And then come to find out I was actually losing my eyesight. So, oh, so can uh, I just stop you there for a minute? So yeah. you were saying that you were so 
out of touch with the inner sensations of your body and the working of your body, that there were mistakes being made at your corporate job, but you didn't understand that because you didn't have like an inner tracking system to even understand what was going on until maybe a doctor, an eye doctor told you you were losing your sight. That's so interesting. Very interesting. And, you know, I was a person at that time that, you know, I was on a track. I was in a corporate environment and I was uh, really into weightlifting and I, you know, as a bodybuilder and as I started to kind of find my way into this new unknown of like, what do you mean I'm going blind? (laughs) I, you know, started to change my habits and my behaviors. And part of that was a lot of vitamin therapy. Part of, part of that was starting to learn, well, what else might I do? And as I was going through this process, the job that I was hired for, I had to keep shifting. And so, you know, moving from a place of being very corporately minded, and I, I don't really like using that type A, but, you know, I, I was a go-getter. I was really, eh, I guess you would say kind of aggressive in that mode of, you know, pushing through life. And and, the, and you and I, excuse me, but you and I have talked before about how you had a lot of fire. You know, when we look at it from a yoga perspective and the five elements, you were basically on fire. And we know that that fire element connects to things like the liver and the eyes in, in, you know, Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah. For sure. And there was a lot of, you know, just from long term, you know, I was in my 20s, but, you know, long before college days and whatnot, a lot of uh, hardships and growing up. And so I'm not surprised that that was the manifestation in the moment. But the opportunity that I had, because I was in this state of unknown, what do I do? Where do I go? That desperation of needing help and getting a referral from a friend and getting another referral from another friend might use yoga. (laughs) And so in one week, I had that opportunity to go talk to someone. And their suggestion was, yeah, you are really frustrated. You have a lot of anger. Why don't you go home and beat your pillow? Or two days later, I went to yoga class. And granted, I didn't know what was really happening there either, except that there was a moment where in being connected with, oh, I have to like find my pinky toe in standing and then have a connection of my physical body. That by the end of that experience, what an aha moment to be in a place where I felt like I was going to be okay no matter what. And so I continued my yoga journey from that moment. And I have not not had yoga in my life since then. And it's been a beautiful awakening, I think, from gross to subtle in my own journey of learning the physical components and being kind of drawn to the physical practice. And if it's okay to, for me to say sort of the styles of yoga that I was in, mm-hmm. I started for seven years. I was Iyengar full on because I understood, okay, that, that's what I understood. And then I found Ashtanga <laughs> and then, Oh, that's exactly what I did not need. <laughs> but of course we know as yoga therapists that when you're out of balance, what you crave and desire is to be more out of balance. So, right. Um, And I think it's so interesting. You and I, independently of one another, we're both in Iyengar for many years. 
and in the kind of vinyasa flow, you were in Ashtanga with more vinyasa flow. And then we ended up in Vinny yoga. <laughs> Vinny yoga. Yeah. I mean, when I found, when I discovered Vinny yoga, I mean, that really shifted everything and, and really just the Krishmacharya approach of function over form rather than, okay, force yourself into this position and, and hold. And oh, nobody ever talked about breath when I was in Ayanga. And so to, to find that breath centered link breath with movement, uh, that really started to shift everything for me. And luckily in those initial phases of taking my teacher training and finding more of those subtle practices, I also learned that I was a really dysregulated person and that I, my nervous system was really shot. And so finding the way to slow down and to modify and to really adjust accordingly, that kind of shifted everything. It's so interesting to me that we keep pushing even in our yoga, like here, we're, we're moving a little bit away from being a gym rat. And yet then we bring that same personality, that same kind of go, go, go perfectionistic attitude into our yoga. And I think it takes some time to unwind and to slow down and to feel, and to not just imprint that same Vijnana Maya personality layer of who we are onto our yoga. Like I, what I'm hearing you say is that it was over time that you kind of did the unwinding and, and realizing that you, you were pretty dysregulated and, and that it was okay to let yourself be and feel and, and slow down a little bit. For sure. I mean, it was years, honestly. Mm-hmm. And even in the transition from a student and a practitioner to moving forward and wanting more. And I was, I was one of those students that as once I started, I mean, I just couldn't stop. I just would take you know, classes. And I mean, I did the myriad of teachers. I mean, I don't know. I have the most giant list of people that I've studied under. And yet, you know, even that, you know, the smorgasbord of like, fill it up, fill it up. But I was so empty. So it really took me that shift in once I decided, okay, I'm going to take this yoga journey even further into a teacher training. And I didn't want to teach even. I was really still pretty shut down. I was scared. You know, I was scared that I was going blind. I was scared that what I had was not enough. And I even said in the teacher training, I'm not here to teach. I'm just here to learn. And I was still, even though I had to show up and do it, I was having nosebleeds when I had to teach. I mean, it was just, you know, I I was not ready, (laughs) but I kept going. And what I learned in that experience is that, oh, when I'm that nervous, I can't handle that. So I have to, I have to shift what I'm doing. I cannot do a fast vinyasa flow class before I have to do that. I, I really tuned into slow down, learn more of the subtle practices and where is breath. And so I got very connected to a pranayama practice at that time. And then I had the fortune to 
because I was so recognizing my insecurities of teaching, I really wanted to get the experience. So when I took my teacher training, when I actually took that teacher training exam, I passed the written, but I said, I'm going to wait. I delayed the, you know, oral practicum exam because I wanted more. So I was teaching and, you know, it's ridiculous. In hindsight, I think, wow, (laughs) I taught 15 classes a week and I didn't drive. I was getting access services. I was, you know, really running out of friends that would drive me around. It It was incredible. But I was doing it. <laughs> and were those the early days when you were at Yoga Works in Santa Monica? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I taught at Planet Yoga and I taught in the Palisades. I mean, I taught in Beverly Hills. And I mean, I was really going and really running myself ragged. And it, it was, you know, it was a great experience. I mean, I got so many amazing experiences out of it. And one thing that came out of it was one of my opportunities as a a teacher down in the South Bay, I had a student that was, you know, regularly showing up to my classes that approached me who was very ill. And in that she wanted to work one-on-one. So that was my very first private client. And in that experience, and I, I was dappling in it myself, but in that experience, I had to be much more creative and modify for her as she continued to get more and more progressive in her illness. And actually, what a privilege for me. I I got to go through her entire process even to the point where she departed the earth. (laughs) And so by the end of us working together, I understood her cues, even though she couldn't speak. And I understood how she transformed herself in her own process of suffering to being at peace and being able to move on. And so with that experience, I felt like I'm really on a path of, I don't, I don't want to just be teaching these classes of up dog, down dog, and et cetera. Even though there's value to that, I felt like my value is much better served modifying and uh, fine tuning into the, the deeper parts of the practice. And was, I don't, I don't know what year that was, but was yoga therapy even a thing at that point when you kind of discovered it in your own way? I, I mean, I think for me, it's kind of like, oh, when the student's ready, the teacher arrives kind of, I mean, that's when I started fine tuning what is this yoga therapy thing? I didn't really even understand it yet, but there was a workshop conference in San Diego and I don't know when that was, but it was, you know, all the yoga therapists and Jessica Char was there. And, you know, I would say this is the late nineties. And that's also when I discovered yoga nidra because at that conference I was in a group yoga nidra class and I had such an aha moment in that class where I felt embodied and present and connected to the breath and connected to what I felt so expansive, you know, and now that I understand the gold zone, I was in the gold zone. (laughs) And what happened in that weekend, because my friend that I went with was also in the same class. And as we left the class, I felt like I was floating and had a real 
deep connection to the divine. And, you know, I was just like, oh, I can't wait to talk to her. And as I started to talk, she was hysterically crying. And so we went to the bathroom and we ended up having this really deep conversation because what happened for her was that she, you know, the sort of floodgates opened up and she had this experience of, you know, deep, deep grief from when her husband had passed away. And so that to me was the moment where I understood, you know, everybody has a different experience and there's caution that must be taken in diving deeper into the more subtle realm. And so that was the impetus for me to really understand more about what is yoga nidra and what are more subtle practices and what happens when you're in deep rest and is it too fast? or is it just right? <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that you're saying. Uh, number one, I want to know what is the difference between deep relaxation and intentional rest? So that's number one. And then number two, I want to talk about a trauma informed approach to not just yoga, yoga therapy, but especially yoga nidra and why that's so important. So let's start with, could you define for us kind of the difference between a deep relaxation versus intentional rest? I love that question. Thank you for asking. I would say that rest and relaxation often get conflated or there's a confusion around rest and relaxation. Intentional rest has the intention to be connected with what you're doing. And it has a greater opportunity for fine tuning what's really happening internally relaxation there is part of that but yet you could just be sitting on the couch drinking a beer and being in relaxation now there's a little less fine-tuned connection i would say again there's an opportunity for that but when we talk about intentional rest with creating a bhavana that that seed that you plant for what is going to be welcomed in and being connected with the life force of prana, you know, drawing that in and, and having something to be connected with that offers a great connection. And I think when we're in rest and relaxation, we also have the opportunity to be in a rejuvenating or regenerative state. So the body can actually start to unwind in its own way to move towards homeostasis, especially if there's some dysregulation that's happened. And the caveat is with care (laughs) that understand that if someone is going to rest, that they're able to do so because we don't learn per se how to have intentional rest. That's not something we're, necessarily taught and it can actually be um for someone you know when you're talking about trauma sensitive depending on what the circumstances of life that have been absorbed into the person's being i mean when we think of what we're experienced in our in our yoga philosophy the way we look at experiences how 
the body, the mind, everything is food. It's not just what we ingest, but it is that aspect of all experiences are absorbed. And so if there hasn't been rest to digest, to process that experience, to process that the emotions that might have been been there and just kind of pushed down, like my friend, you know, that the outpouring of that grief that happened to her. That can happen and, you know, it's it's important to to be prepared for allowing that to happen. And if someone's not, then, you know, intentional rest has to go, you know, little crumbs <laughs> instead of the deep dive. <laughs> I, I, just, I think yeah i love what you're saying that throughout all of our lives we have difficult times and things that happen that we don't have the time energy focus to digest and it's all still in there and you and i have talked about this so much you know in yoga we call this a vasana kind of an emotional imprint there's something left over after these big events of our lives and it could even be positive event like a wedding but it you know there there's a lot that we couldn't digest and and just moving with care in these tiny little traumas knowing that for some people a whole bunch is going to come up really fast for other people it's going to be hard to get those vasanas to come up and that's okay too but i love your approach of trauma sensitive knowing that part of the process is allowing this stuff to come up. And then we have to have someone there who, who knows what's happening and can be that kind of person who holds the space while the, the client or the student digests whatever, you know, is from the past. Yes, exactly. And even, you know, sometimes there's, such a lack of awareness about it. It's unconscious or even subconscious. And so, yeah, care is definitely needed. (laughs) Can we go back to that? Something that you said that I think is so fascinating, this idea of when we're in this super vulnerable, sensitive state, because our, our nervous system has gone into a deep relaxation. You said there's an intention or a seed that can be planted. And I think you know, in that very relaxed state, we are so receptive to things that are said or heard or seen or felt. And so can you talk a little bit more about the types of seeds that you might plant for someone when they're in that very relaxed state? Can you just give us some examples? Correct. I think that it just depends on what each aspect of the intention is but it could be something as simple as you know if if the desire is to be more stable then maybe we're connecting with planting a seed like a tree or it might be a quality a quality of allowing or accepting and again it really helps to understand well, where do I want to go? How do I want to show up in my life? And, it, you know, finding that idea of keeping a goal of being forthright in the experience. And maybe it's 
a positive freeze that allows for health and well-being. You know, I experience health on all aspects of my being. Something like that could be a seed. And again, if we're working on, you know, from that Panchamaya system, which finding ways to connect, there's, there's a, a, so many, a myriad of ways to find the door or the window into a person's way to their optimal well-being. So it, it, I like to say it depends on the person. <laughs> and I was just going to... Yeah, I was just going to say that, that there's this idea in yoga therapy that we kind of have to assess the person in front of us to be able to give them the correct intervention, right? And so I see a lot of yoga nidra out there, but how many times are we actually having kind of a, a, a personal assessment of what's happening inside of us? So where are you now? And, and then where do we want to go together? Exactly. And I love that you just mentioned that. I mean, if you look it up today, you just type in yoga nidra because it seems to be quite a buzzword now. You could get, I mean, there's 5 million hits there. I mean, it's just overwhelming what you could come across. So, uh, yeah. And you've also talked, Sonia, you know, right now we're talking about yoga therapy and this kind of individualized approach for, for something like yoga nidra, but you've also talked about on a societal level, we just have a huge allostatic load, every single one of us, especially with COVID times and also this addiction to work and this addiction to packing our days so full, like. I've heard you say something to the effect of our society doesn't know how to rest. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. I I think it's an epidemic really. (laughs) And I think also because of what's happened with the pandemic, we we're falling into a lot of bad habits and it's affecting us on so many different levels. I mean, look at what's happening on a mental health level and then, the effects of COVID and how that's, you know, really impacting all of us on whether you've you've been experiencing it yourself or someone that you know, or just still not quite comfortable going out in public. And then all these different layers that happen around that. Societally, the idea is not to be more attentive to ourself, to our self-care. It's going to be kind of the opposite. Like, let's just, you know, drink more wine tonight. I don't have as many responsibilities. Or if I do, then finding, okay, now I have seven Zooms to be on today. (laughs) I mean, it's a different experience that we're having. Our lifestyles have really dramatically changed because of this. And and I have two kids and they're, you know, teenager and a tween and, you know, from Zoom school and not being really socially understanding how to relate even is kind of a a huge shift. So all of these aspects have shown up. And what we find is instead of doing more and being overwhelmed by all these unknowns, that's slowing it down, allowing for the recovery to let that occur with intention so that the nervous system can have that moment 
to recoup. And so that there's not that building on of the sympathetic part of the nervous system that we're not go, 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 go. And then we keep going, that there's a moment where we re-regulate and then maybe less reaction and more of a response. Hopefully there'll be more of a, a socially engaged experience where we feel deeply connected, even if we have to be more creative in our connections. Yeah, I, I think COVID is having such a unique effect on different people. You know, when it first hit and I had to move all my university classes online and our entire yoga therapy school online in a matter of weeks, I was so stressed out. And and I think I had COVID, you know, March 2020. So it was it was so stressful. But I can say now that my life has completely shifted. I'm no longer traveling all over the place. I'm not trying to host 35 people in a retreat center. I just before this interview, I was able to lay down for 30 minutes with my little kitty and kind of regulate. I'm eating better because I'm cooking at home. I'm not going to restaurants nearly as much. I I just feel like the pace and the slowness of life with COVID at least now, not at the beginning, but now has really showed me how out of control my life was and my nervous system was, even though at the time I was like, I'm fine, I'm doing great. But relative to the way I've been able to structure my life now, I feel so much better. My body is dropping weight. I'm sleeping like a baby. You know, I'm craving healthy foods. It's so, I guess one thing that's amazing to me is even as yoga teachers and yoga therapists, a lot of times we don't even realize when we're out of balance. And this is what we do for a living. I think that's kind of fascinating. It is so fascinating, really. And and sometimes we know better <laughs> and we just can't do it. And mm. and really it's all about how how I mean, that's that deep vinyana layer. Like how do you recognize when the choices are maybe not the best, but it's just a work in progress and we constantly come back to can we allow ourselves to slow down and recognize and and really be able to be our own assessors you know constantly checking in and utilizing that ability to recognize oh i i feel clear today i have that clarity and that sense of inner peace that allows me to feel deeply connected or oh, okay, you know, I'm a little too pitta right now, and or I'm a little too vata, or I, oh, I really I overslept, and now I'm in that state of feeling super inert, and what do I do? So when you understand how to regulate for your own homeostasis, then I think everything falls into place better. Where you do sleep better, you do have you're back to your own body weight. You're, and when that happens, you're craving the good foods rather than, you know, sort of your body compensating with that insulin or, you know, the sugar cravings that might happen in dysregulation. So it's fascinating. I really, I'm so in awe of, of how we can use ourselves as our monitor. <laughs> and, you know, I want to point out that it, it's somewhat of a privilege to even have the time, space, and energy to check in 
and to make a shift. I mean, I, I know at my, my most out of balance, I didn't feel I had a choice. I, I have a yoga therapy school and I have a full-time job at the university and I needed both of those things to happen to make a living, right? I didn't feel I had a choice and I still don't, to be honest, to, to leave either one of those things. So I just want to recognize that, that, you know, times are really hard out there and it's not like, oh, I think I need to go take a bubble bath. It's wow. I, I have a lot on my plate and there's nothing I can drop. And my allostatic load is off the charts and I don't know what to do about it. You know? Yeah. And I totally appreciate you saying that. And especially when there is that sense that, that there is no other choice. And yet if there's compassion and if there is that recognition that, yeah, it's really hard. And even some, something as simple as, you know, putting your hand on your heart and, and feeling the moment of, okay, um, it's really hard right now that sometimes just that in itself can make a big difference in just the experience of having to, you know, be in that state of, of having to keep doing it, even if you wish you had a different choice. Right. So Sonia, I know you've had a, a personal journey around your own sleep and, insomnia. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Because I think this is an example. You're a mom who works really, really hard in the yoga field. You have lack of sight and you have two girls. You have a husband who's on the go. I, I can yeah. see that you could have been in a kind of what I call a life lock and that you just can't get your mind and nervous system to settle down, to be able to sleep, which of course compounds it for the next day. Correct. Correct. And I mean, I think it's also fascinating going back to the, the idea of what our life is like now in COVID and the pandemic and the increase in insomnia that has happened. You know, if you think about in that 20, at the very beginning of 2020, the, the insomnia, <laughs> the search word for insomnia went up 58% just those first few months. <laughs> so yeah, insomnia and sleep hygiene in general, I think is such an important aspect of what we need to understand. And my own journey through it, uh, I wish I knew the yoga tools when I was in college because I even had it then. But what did I know? My lifestyle was you know, drinking Mountain Dew and in the evening to stay up and then eating spirulina in the day to, to keep going. And ugh. But now I have all kinds of different tools that I can use. From the first time that I had postpartum, I didn't have depression. I had extreme anxiety where I couldn't, I wasn't comfortable going out of the house. I wasn't comfortable finding you know, when the baby sleeps, I'm going to sleep, but then I can't sleep at night. And there was this whole uh, process of understanding what are the rhythms to reset. And sleep is that vital aspect of being able to retune in. I mean, it's when the hippocampus realigns and stores, whether you're going to have long-term memory or short-term memory and so if there's not that reset, 
then, yeah, like you had mentioned, oh, well, then it domino effects over time. And then there's breakdowns that can happen through the whole system. And so finding yoga nidra, and I'll coming back to that whole cycle of rest and being even in that moment of, oh, no, I, I'm awake and I want to be asleep, rather than revving it up in the thought process, slowing it down and coming back to some breath practices and, and really um, fine-tuning the, the skill of resting and understanding also that a night's sleep, there can be many different ways a night's sleep is interrupted. And again, finding that if you track it, whether you're, you have, you know, you're monitoring yourself by t- keeping a sleep journal or if you're fortunate enough to have one of those watches that tracks it or a Fitbit or something. And then all of a sudden you're more concerned about what's happening there and in the, the data collection of it uh, rather than kind of fine tuning well, what being interested and curious, well, what am I doing during the day that might actually affect my night? And what am I doing prior to going to bed that might affect the night's sleep? And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to, again, fine tune where are you at and what are you doing? And sometimes a guide helps to, you know, be supported and, and kind of, uh, keep you accountable for what's in the mix of all that. Yeah, I'll just tell you my pattern that I got into with with the COVID routines is that I would work all day at the computer and and not move nearly enough. So that would leave my body feeling stiff and restless. But my mind was going 100 miles an hour trying to reformat all of this online learning, like for 10, sometimes 12 hours a day. And the only way that I, for a few months could get my mind to not spin all night on, on curriculum was to have a glass of wine. And I'm not much of a drinker. So that was like a huge change. Like my husband was like, Oh, you're having another glass tonight. Okay. And I, I was like, yeah, I am honey. Sorry about that. But I, this is what I need right now. So that went on for a few months until I remembered like, Oh, Amy, you have other tools in your tool basket. Wine is not the other, only tool. We have yoga nidra, you have breathing, you have meditation, you have a bianga oil massage with a bath. And, and thank God that I remembered, like, it doesn't have to be wine. I mean, it can be wine if you want a glass of wine, no, no problem. But that's what I love about our yogic toolbox is we have choice to decide to take the Abhyanga oil massage, then the bath, then maybe read a spiritual text or do a yoga nidra. And I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, you talking about how you would do one yoga nidra, like to kind of help yourself go to sleep. And if you woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't fall back asleep, you would put your headphones on and do a second yoga nidra in the middle of the night. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah. And it really got me through. And I'll tell you, you know, going back to when I first started incorporating it as part of, you know, my postpartum healing that, and granted, my daughter's now 14. So (laughs) it's a lot of practice to understand that, yeah, whether it's 
in the evening and slowing it down or understanding that that middle of the night wake up and sometimes and especially after all that and now that I'm much older the the menopausal phase where sometimes the early morning it's just too early to get up but then there's a wake up so whether it is turning a headset on again in the middle of the night or in the morning I'm not I'm not it's not something I have to do now that it it's my sleep is so regulated now because I have a great practice in the morning that I am working with a teacher in India that I have a morning practice that I've got. I've got kind of a little mini midday practice on a pranayama. I do my yoga nidra. And then in the evening, there's no issue for me to fall asleep. And if I do wake up, I find that it's just a recognition that, oh, I, I'm awake in this moment, but it doesn't, I'm not tipped over the edge anymore. And so um, I think it ebb and flows too. You know, it's something that over time and with certain experiences and challenges that it can, it can really um, shift and then it can, you know, there can be dysregulation and then you can, come back to a state of regulation. And and I love what you're saying about the activities that we do all day long from the first thing in the morning onward make a difference for how we're going to sleep that night versus so many people think, oh, I have to do something right before bed to get to sleep. No, you probably have to get up and move your body, you know, between five and 8 a.m. You would need, you know, there's stop the caffeine after lunch. It's like a series of things all day long. That's going to help us fall asleep at night. Absolutely. And I think that is something that again, just comes with an understanding that it's not something that we are really, that we learn at all that over time. And that's why, you know, I worked for many years at uh, a clinic, a clinic for pain, chronic pain, and the, the pain can change with or without sleep and the habits that, that form, you know, it's all hygiene, you know, literally sleep hygiene. And if you understand that over time, it is also cumulative. So over time, if you are, you know, drinking too much coffee and you don't even realize it, or you are being more sedentary and you don't even realize it, it's going to be those building blocks that affect us at night. And so it does make a big difference as you uh, kind of unravel and, and be curious about where, where are you with your sleep and what can you do to, to help pro, you know, promote the healthiest you on all levels that you can be. So Sonia, you've been studying sleep and yoga nidra for a minimum of 14 years, in addition to all the yoga and yoga therapy studies you've done. And now you've decided to kind of come forward with your own style of yoga nidra that, as we said before, it's trauma-informed. It it does acknowledge that not every yoga nidra is good for every single person, that it is really amazing if the yoga therapist can do some sort of assessment to see which yoga nidra would be good for that person. 
I, there's two other things that make your approach just so unique. And that I think one of them is this big emphasis on Pratyahara. And then another one comes from your yoga tradition, Krishmacharya Yoga Mandram, where they have kind of these classical 10 steps of meditation. And you've taken a lot of that into 10 steps to help you get into a deep state of intentional rest through yoga nidra. So can you talk a little bit about Pratyahara and then also those kind of classical Vedic steps of meditation? Yes. So Pratyahara, it's one of my favorite words. And if you think of the, the limbs of yoga, as we're all understanding from the Krishnamacharya lineage, you know, you have your yamas, your niyamas, the asana aspect, you know, that physical movement. And if you're not familiar with yamas and niyamas, the, the personal and social codes that we're guided towards for, you know, showing up in the world and your physical practice, your pranayama, the breath, and then there's pratyahara. From pratyahara, there's, you know, the other aspects dharana, dhyana, and uh, samadhi, the concentration, the meditation, and, you know, full enlightenment. What is so brilliant about pratyahara, going back to that aspect of understanding food as not just what we ingest, as, you know, what we eat and drink, but also our experiences, how our interactions, our relationships, all of that are absorbed and the pratyahara is the intentional drawing senses inward. And I love to view it as that place that's the bridge between the physical prakriti aspect of us, the, the here and now matter of us and, and the food component of us, and then the bridge into that deep connection of something that is more concentrative and the that pratyahara as you begin to rest in that state of disengaging or at least you know the idea of delinking from what that output is or you know how we are connected to that outside world as we draw the senses inward then we are able to be in that fine-tuned state of rejuvenating and resting. And uh, I, I really love that aspect. And, and that's really why Yoga Nidra, I think, can work so profoundly for creating that rest and deep restoration. And then the approach, uh, utilizing the 10 steps of meditation, is incorporating the idea of those 10 Vedic steps which you'll have to tune in to our module in October of 2022 to really dive in deeply with that. But the idea of slowly moving with intention into a deep state of connecting with that object of meditation and being intentional with planting the seed and holding the attention with that and it takes practice 
and it also takes a willingness and an openness to explore that so yeah the, <laughs> those, those 10 vedic steps that we we learned from the kym you know those are powerful when you think about that people have been doing very similar steps to get into meditation for thousands of years all over the South Asian continents, it's powerful to kind of tap into that river of meditation with souls that have been doing it for a long, long time. That, that really speaks to me to, to join into that pranic force that has already been happening for people for, like I said, thousands of years. So you, you did mention something that I think we need to talk a little bit about, and that is, you know, you have been wanting to take all of your knowledge that you've learned from many different yoga nidra traditions and come up with your own version of it, optimal nidra, optimal sleep. And as we said, trauma-informed, a big focus on pratyahara or withdrawal of the senses to go inward, these 10 Vedic steps of meditation. And after many years of planning and preparing and PowerPoints and practicing on all of your students, and you have decided to unveil your optimal Nidra program that you're going to, the first batch of, of students is going to come together in October of 2022 for a weekend. And then there'll be self-study and then a second weekend in February. Can you tell us kind of a little bit about that program, how it's going to work? Well, it's going to be a wonderful experience of diving in together and exploring kind of the neurological components as well as the Vedic components. And as a cohort, we'll take this journey together to dive in and and really be in a deep intellectual understanding and yet an experiential understanding of the process of learning and growing through yoga nidra it's a certification program though right where students would come in and have an experience themselves but they would also leave as certified optimal nidra instructors or teachers is that right yeah well that's what we're planning on, yeah, so that we'll do this complete program of the first weekend and then some uh, journaling and some good practice on your own to really understand the inner workings of the practice, to experience that practice. And then the second component, that second weekend, will be a little bit more fine-tuned in what the methodology is and going through optimal state and being a part of optimal nidra and being able to take your shared experience and be able to share it with your practitioners and, and the other people that you're working with in an appropriate way so that you can understand, given the nature of who shows up for you, how, how to assess them and how you can help them find their way into a peaceful way to rest gently. <laughs> And I was so excited about this program. Uh, Sonia showed it to me a few weeks ago and without any warning, I saw it and I said, Sonia, I want that to be part of my optimal state 800 plus hour yoga therapy school. I want every one of my graduates 
to take this. And I don't know if you were surprised that you, you know, that I was so happy about this. And just also to say that anyone is welcome to take this program. It's not just for our graduates, but that's how strongly I felt about it when I saw this kind of combination of neuroscience and Vedic literature, like East meets West, and then just knowing you for as many years as I have and the subtleness with which you work. I'm just really excited about it. And I think the goal is to run it at least once a year, maybe twice a year. Well, let's hope. I mean, I'm open to it. And I mean, I love this practice so much. And and I'm just grateful that you enjoyed the outline so much that you just took it on with me. And I think it'll be a really great experience. And I'm very happy to share. And I was a little surprised, but I'm very grateful. Oh, I was <laughs> surprised. <no>. I, <laughs> I almost had my reaccreditation finished, right? Every six years you get reaccredited by IYT. And I, we had all the numbers down. We had all the handbooks written and the and I was like, uh-oh, we're going to have to redo this. I called up Krishna and said, Krishna, I'm so sorry, but I have more hours. <laughs> we have to do this. And she, you know, she has such a great attitude, but that's how strongly I felt that I was willing to put off my accreditation and make sure that we got this in the program because I don't see anything else like it out there. And I just want to support you too to shine your light in the world, you know? Thank you so much. I mean, I am so honored just to be acknowledged by you in that way. I mean, it's, it's so dear to my heart. I feel like it's another one of my little babies <laughs> that we're caring for and, you know, well, moving, and moving out into the world and shining it to share with others. And, and I think, you know, sorry to interrupt, but, um, the, the reason that I chose as scared as I was initially to be a yoga teacher, you know, even though I had to overcome my own fears and my own, you know, nosebleeds and all that, to actually be able to share something that so profoundly helped me. And that's why I chose to move through this yoga journey and then fine tuning my yoga therapy and being connected with IYT and finding my connection with optimal state and just the continuation of this blossoming of what yoga really means and yoga therapy and to incorporate what I love so dearly and has profoundly shifted me on, on all layers of my human system. And granted it's still a work in progress, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful journey to be on. And I just, I'm so grateful. And I think, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like you creating this program from your heart, it just kind of emanates out, even in spite of the limited vision that you have. I mean, you have to have an assistant help you with every PowerPoint and every email and every, everything. I mean, there it's a big deal. So to have someone like you that went through such a surprising life transition, like losing your sight as an adult and deciding like, okay, I'm, this isn't going to limit me. It actually is just one of those next steps in the journey. That's going to take me 
where my soul or my little Purusha wants to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm here on this planet to do the work that I'm doing. And despite not being able to see very well, (laughs) I am trying my best to learn some of the technology skills, but it's taking quite a bit of time, but I did get some help from the rehabilitation center for the blind. So I have a, a tech trainer at the moment that's helping me with some of the more details of how to send an email with audible technology. And yeah, I've got great support. And I think the aspect of being okay, allowing for accepting help. I mean, I, it's hard sometimes to ask, but I get help whether I have to pay for it or I get volunteers or however it works. And, you know, sometimes I wrote in my family members uh, and, and other friends. And it's just, I just do what I can do. And I hope that no matter what somebody's challenge is, and we all have our own challenges, I just hope that, you know, understand that it's, it's okay. <laughs> like I want to be that inspiration for whatever it is. You can still do what you want to do. It might, again, your journey might be a little different than you had hoped, but it, it can be what it is. And still be wonderful. You know, I always say some of the biggest disappointments of my life, actually at the time I was on my knees, didn't think I would make it through, but ended up in some strange way, looking back, being a blessing and, and something beautiful came from that. And I, I think your sensitivity, your intuition, your uh, subtleness in the world, your ability to create such an amazing yoga nidra program is something that actually came. I, I don't think if you had stayed as that corporate woman who was a gym rat lifting weights and not in tune with her own body, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't be where you are right now, or you wouldn't be where you are. Absolutely not. I was on a whole different road. (laughs) (laughs) Planet, different planet. planet. You know, sometimes there's that two by four that the universe offers you (laughs) and says that wrong direction. You know, Mm. the boat that you're on is not going to make it. So, you know, and honestly, going back to just Krishnamacharya lineage, I mean, I think that 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 shifted so much for me, just connecting with, you know, that that function over form and tuning into what does it mean to actually link with the breath in a deep way and to be centered like that. And then on top of that, the caveat of what does it mean to rest? and to, to let the nervous system come back into a state of homeostasis. And so, you know, that's- Beautiful. So Sonia, I'm gonna pull your website up on the screen right now, Ooh. your new beautiful website, Yoga, <laughs> yoga Gently. Uh, I'm a little nervous about that because it's, it's still a work in progress, but yeah, I, I got so excited about the professional development module and actually this is one of the accesses of of doing that work and I uh, created this website with a helper and 
Looks My real great. niche is working with older adults because, like I said at the beginning, you know, learning how to modify and to really have a sensitivity for, um, I guess, more like changing the paradigm around aging and, and that life can still be very fulfilling even if you think that you're getting older. <laughs> it's okay. So your, your website is www.yogagently.com. And right now you're doing all Zoom classes, right? Correct. Yes. And, and what I found in the in the pandemic is, you know, I don't have to pay a driver to get get me there, or I don't have to get a lift. And uh, people really like working in the you know working from the comfort of their own home. So I'm offering a lot online. And you have an upcoming um, class that you're doing. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Do you call it less is more or something? Or um, the title of the series is rest gently. The idea is that less is more, but really the whole concept is at the end, we practice guided meditation called yoga nidra. <laughs> and before we do that, we do some range of motion. And I think it's very important to be able to kind of release any musculoskeletal tension and to get kind of the prana flowing properly. And it's a, it's a four week series and it opens, I think, uh, I think you can sign up now and it'll start on November 8th, I think. It's like, um, for four weeks, we'll do it in November. And really, it's an, an attempt to prepare for the holidays. So many things happen over the course of the holidays, and especially, you know, now that we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> so, Sonia, is this Rest Gently series something that you'll be offering more times during the year also, this four-week series? Yes. It's a class that I was regularly doing on Tuesdays, and over the summer, I had to not do it. And so right now I'm opening it up in November and then I will open it up again next year. I haven't figured out that schedule, but for right now it's four weeks, four Tuesdays in November as a way to kind of prepare for staying in a state of homeostasis throughout the holidays. That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending this hour with us, you know, to talk to us about what that life transition was like for you as your, your site was in jeopardy talking to us about your new programs that you're developing, especially the optimal Nidra certification course for yoga teachers, health coaches, psychologists, physicians, assistants, or really anyone who wants to go more deeply into this idea of intentional rest, which is starting in the fall of 2022 will be the first cohort and thank you for just spending this, this time with us, Sonia. Oh, Amy, thank you so much. And I am so impressed with your yoga therapy hour. And I am very honored to be here. So thank you for listening. And thank you to all the listeners here that have been paying attention. I really appreciate it. If you've been very active, even multitasking while we've been together on the podcast, Consider this moment to rest, to slow down, to even stop and be through this breath and gentle guide through the Panchamaya system. 
settle into a position that's comfortable as we take a moment to pause to absorb the information that has been relayed and to allow for an opportunity to rest. This can be a seated rest, or if you are in a place, an opportunity where you might be able to recline or lie down, feel free to do so as well. Whatever position is chosen, make sure there's the level of comfort, especially if you've been sitting and listening, you might want to stand up, give a little stretch to the limbs, wiggle the fingers and toes a bit before settling into this pause break. If you're willing to close your eyes, if that's comfortable and you're in a position where you can, especially if you're listening while you're driving, obviously, you might pull to the side to do this practice or simply keep your eyes with a soft gaze. Whether your eyes are opened or closed, let your body and your breath take a moment to notice what's possible to notice. Take advantage of the moment. Acknowledge yourself for being here. Notice how you're breathing. And keep a consistent, steady breath through the practice. If you need to move or shift position, feel free. And then come back to an opportunity of resting. idea of the Panchamaya model as found in the Taittiriya Upanishads, an ancient text, explains the five layers of the human system. We will journey together. First, notice your body's position. Observe the support. Recognize what the body feels like. The most tangible experience of our system, known as the food part of our body, the anamaya. Simply notice. What's the experience of the body right here, right now? Is there a quality within the body that's noticeable? Any one particular feeling that might be more noticeable than any other? Without over-identifying any part of the body, notice the body in its entirety. From the tips of the fingers, top of the head, down all the way to the tips of the toes, and every part in between, trillions of cells that make up the body. Shifting, noticing the breath. more intentionally connected to how the breath is flowing. The quality of the breath, the length of the breath. 
guff of a breath. Where is the breath going? Pranamaya. When the prana draws in, where is the life force of prana going? Where's the primal energy of breath? The energy of the breath. How is it filling you up? Replenishing. Shift to notice. breath and the body. A little more subtle, observe the mind and the fluctuation and the patterns of thought. Ruminations. Judgments or Acceptances. Manomaya aspect. Fine tuning the mind's focus on the breath. Recognizing each inhale and each exhale with conscious intention weaving together the tapestry of mind, breath, and body. Even more subtle is the aspect of the personality, the choices and discernments and values that brought this moment into being right here, right now. Integral relationships. Internal self-relationship and external relationship with others. Vinyana maya, how those all connect. Again, without over-identifying or judging, simply being curious. The layer of personality and how it's manifested. Even more subtle, shifting attention to the purest part of being consistent, ever-present aspect, that which allows for joy, even if it's hard to come by there. Anandamaya. But it might manifest as a connection to the universe, or something spiritual if that works for you. Something unchanging that when time, tracking of time gets lost, there's a sense of clarity 
contentment, joy that's there. Sometimes it happens when music is played or gardening or playing with a pet or being with a loved one. Other expressions pure purusha and how weaving the tapestry connecting that deepest spark the choices and the values the thought pattern and breath pattern the physical state of being with all aspects of you. In this moment, notice the energy of the mind, the state of the being, and what's occurring right here, right now. The deeper breath might begin to wiggle the fingers and the toes. Acknowledge yourself for being here and the opportunity to share this moment. Thank you for listening. Thank you for Amy and the podcast and all the listeners out there. Take care. Be well. Thank you again for tolerating the little sound blips that happened during this interview. Mother Nature is doing her thing and I don't know how many of you know this, but I live in a cabin out in the woods, like literally like in the wilderness. My house was built in 1923 and there's plenty of rooms that still look like they're from 1923. And we have bears outside. We have cougars, we have raccoons, we have, you know, all sorts of craziness out here in the woods. And so when Mother Nature decides to do her thing, whether it's a rainstorm, a hailstorm, a snowstorm, a flood, a fire, (laughs) we've got it all. We just know that she is in charge and that we are just visitors on her earth. And we're glad she's allowing us to be here as long as we've been here. So thank you for putting up with that. Sometimes in the middle of winter, the internet gets a little bit choppy out here. But just picture me and my cabin in the woods and you'll feel a whole lot better. So in reflecting upon this interview with Sonia, what what really stood out to me is this idea of unexpected life challenges that we don't see coming. And as Sonia said, you get hit with a two by four and, and you have to figure out what is my life going to look like now? And I know we've all been through these experiences where the, the rug gets completely pulled out from under us. And, and maybe some of you have even had that happening with COVID-19, that you lost a job or you had to move or you decided to go home and be with your parents, an adult living with their parents who are also adults. Maybe you're kids had to change schools or come home for homeschool, or maybe you lost someone in your family because of COVID, or maybe someone has, or yourself has COVID long hauler syndrome. Um, There's so many things that happen in life. And I'm in my fifties now. 
and just realizing that any day that doesn't have something incredibly difficult happening is a precious, joyful, amazing day to be alive. And like, I need to be really grateful for all those precious moments and hours and days and weeks. Whereas before COVID, I think it was kind of the flip. I I think somehow in my head, I thought something amazing had to be happening in order to feel like it was a great day. And then it was kind of a boring day if nothing big was going on. I, I really think that perception of mine has changed. And then, you know, when we hear stories like Sonia, where she was going down the road of life and then told you will be losing your sight in the next few years. And it progressively was kind of taken away from her. And I think she still has about 15%, but only peripheral vision, not, not straight on. So she can turn her head a little bit and have 15% vision. So I think she's grateful for that, but you can imagine what a big shift that is for such a high powered woman, a potent woman like Sonia. And, you know, I, I think if we can just realize that we will make it through life will probably look different than we had imagined. There's still beauty and joy in each and every day. And then it's the simple, precious things in life that really matter. And so I think I'll just leave you with that thought today sending some gratitude to Sonia for being such an inspirational role model, you know, just to help us all realize how much we really have and how grateful we can be. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour with Amy Wheeler podcast. Another nonprofit organization that we like to support through this podcast is the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram in Chennai, India. They are the source for the teachings of the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School, and we are so grateful. The KYM's Mitra Division offers free yoga therapy training to a large number of socially and economically underprivileged children and women in Chennai. Feel free to support them through the link listed below on Red Circle, and we also have details on our website, which is also listed below. Please also note that we have recently developed a mental health tracking mobile app based on yogic and Ayurvedic principles. The app helps practitioners to observe their mental habits and patterns throughout the different times of day, the seasons of the year, and the stages of life. This is a useful tool for healthcare providers, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, and all of the people that they serve check it out on the app store. It's called the Optimal State app. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria, and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.